Amen. We appreciate that music. I know God does too. Well, we've come now to the main message portion of our service, so I hope you have your Bibles handy. And we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the, the wonderful gift of your word that you've given us. And uh, we all have the ability to have a Bible, perhaps several of them. And we know we have, we have a responsibility to open them and to read them regularly, hopefully daily. But now in a special way at, at this worship service, Lord, we hope to learn not only brain knowledge, but heart knowledge. Help us to more clearly see you and to understand you and your purpose for each of our lives. So Holy Spirit, do your work today. Inspire us to understand. Thank you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's open to uh, the book of Judges back in the Old Testament. Let me ask a question. Has God ever disappointed you? Has God ever disappointed you? In other words, has something happened in your life that you didn't expect? And being a Christian, perhaps, you didn't think it should happen to you. And you had some questions and maybe even some doubts about God when it did happen. You know, we've all faced disappointments of one sort or another, even in this year, let alone our whole lives. And when frustrations kind of shove their way into our lives, we can begin to doubt God's presence in our lives. Here's an example of a man who experienced that. His name was Gideon in the book of Judges. Let me tell you a little bit about what he was facing. You know, there were periods of time in the history of Israel when they kind of fell in and out of favor with God. Uh, they would go through periods of time where as a nation they would obey and everything was going well and then from time to time they'd turn from God and disobey and seek pagan gods and practice idolatry and God during that time would remove his blessings from them and they would have to learn a lesson and maybe be conquered by another army or another nation and maybe go into captivity then they would come out again and repent and God would, you know, give them a good leader, and the cycle just went on and on and on and on throughout the history of Israel. Well, here we are in the period of Judges, when uh, God would raise up men who would rule over the nation, because there were no kings at this time, and one of the men was Gideon. And in Judges chapter 6, he starts off talking about this cycle of obedience and disobedience on the part of Israel. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you've not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, okay, so God is going to call Gideon now to be a judge. He's going to strengthen Gideon. He's going to empower him to rule over the people of Israel. But when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now notice Gideon's response. Here's a man who, along with his nation Israel, has had to suffer through punishment from God because of their disobedience. But notice all of this period of being punished and invaded by uh, other armies. The people were beaten up. The people had lost hope. And notice what Gideon's reply is. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And you know, I dare say that it's an attitude that we can have from time to time. Just as Gideon and the people of Israel felt beaten up, they felt discouraged, they felt perhaps despised by God for their years of disobedience and idolatry, First of all, he questioned whether the Lord is truly with us because all of this has happened to us. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've asked the same question. I've said to God, you know, Father, I've been a Christian now for many years. And I've tried to give my life to you. I've tried to do the best that I could. And why is it that these things are happening in my life right now? They came out of nowhere. It was like a bomb that landed on me. Things are disrupted in my life. We're sorrowful. We're hurting now. Uh, and maybe I ask myself the question, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I thought we were in God's good graces. I thought that he would respect the fact that I'm his son and we're his children. Uh, and I kind of thought that because I'm a Christian, some of this negative stuff is not supposed to happen. God is supposed to see it coming and stop it before it affects me in such a negative way. And I dare say, if I could speak for all of you, maybe from time to time you've had the same thought and you've asked the same question. And Gideon asked this honest question. Why, you know, if God is with me, why is all this bad stuff happening? We say this, or at least think it, because we have a firm opinion of what God's being with us should look like. And boy, if God, the God of the universe is with us, why should anything bad happen? It should be all good, because he's in charge, he's calling the shots, if anything negative is coming my way, he should stop it before it ever affects me. And my life should pretty much be free of any suffering or any disappointments or discouragement. So 
if I feel like God has disappointed me or if he has let me down, it's not really God who has let me down. It is the God that I imagined him to be that has let me down. In other words, in my thinking, I've kind of made God to be in my own image. You know, I look at him as this God who loves me so much that he's never going to allow anything negative to happen to me. See, that was a false God that I made in my mind and in my heart. And it wasn't God who let me down. It was that false image that let me down. Sometimes when people want to believe in God, they like to go to a smorgasbord of characteristics that they want to pick out for God to be like. It's kind of like going to Golden Corral while that was still around. That's a big buffet line. And you know, when you go to Golden Corral, you got your dish, and you look over everything, and you think, oh, I think this would be tasty. I like the looks of this. I'll have some of that. And you end up with a dish of all of these things that you really like and you're going to enjoy. Well, sometimes when we come to believe in God, we go through a, what we consider to be a God-like smorgasbord of all the things we want God to be in, my, in our lives. Think about that. You know, we want him to always be there for us. We want him always to prevent any bad things coming to us, sickness, accidents, whatever the case may be. We want our marriage and our family life to always be good. We want family members to always love one another, never get mad, no arguments. You know, we need to have a, a God who's going to provide all of our financial needs. We're never going to be in debt. We're never going to have any problems along those lines. See, we pick from a smorgasbord of what we want God to be. Unfortunately, we can't make God to be like that. God is who he is. Notice what God says in Isaiah 55. Let's turn there. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. Here's the reality that we have to accept. God is not our creation. He doesn't have the characteristics that we uh, demand that he has all the time. God says this in Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God is saying there, listen, I know better than you, and don't misinterpret me when maybe bad things happen in your life. Bad things happen in your life because God deems them to happen. His word has gone out, in other words. So we have trials, we have disappointments in our lives. When that happens, we shouldn't doubt God. We should accept the fact that since he is in control, he has allowed these things to happen to us Amen. for a purpose. Now, see, the God that I picked out in my smorgasbord is not going to allow bad things to happen in my life. 
Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be comfortable, you see. That's the God that I picked out. So when bad things happen in your life, it's not the real God who has disappointed you. The God that you've created in your own mind from your smorgasbord of God characteristics has disappointed you. In other words, you've been worshiping a false God. The God that we worship thinks differently than we do. Uh, He looks at life differently than we do. He looks from a heavenly perspective. We're looking from an earthly perspective. And what God is saying here is, you know what? Sometimes things are going to happen in your life that I have caused to happen or I have allowed to happen that are actually going to be for your good. We're going to learn as we read on here that a lot of the trials that we uh, encounter in life build character in us actually are made by God to uh, provide depending on God more than on ourselves and on other things. So it's quite common for people to make a God of their own creation. And that God of our own creation is bound to let us down and disappoint us. I remember what happened to John the Baptist back here in Luke chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 7, rather. Let's turn there. John the Baptist, believe it or not, kind of created a Messiah in his own mind. He went to his own personal smorgasbord of God characteristics, and he kind of formed what the Messiah is supposed to do and what he's supposed to look like in his own mind. And there came a time when John the Baptist was disappointed. Jesus' ministry was in full force. John the Baptist was still on the scene. He had not been uh, murdered or executed yet. And notice what happened in Luke 7, beginning in verse 18. So John the Baptist was keeping track of what Jesus was doing. He was kind of like monitoring what this Messiah was doing. And Jesus wasn't living up to all of his expectations. Because John the Baptist had in his mind that the Messiah, as soon as he arrives, he's going to take charge, buddy. He is going to start destroying the Romans. He's going to make Israel the number one nation again on the face of the earth. He's going to usher in the kingdom of God in a powerful way. But Jesus arrived on the scene and began his ministry, and he wasn't doing those things. He was keeping a low profile. Yes, he was, he was healing the sick. He was teaching. He was doing those sorts of things. But wait a minute, you're not doing what the Messiah is supposed to do. And it came to the point where it says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, this is verse 20, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? So imagine John the Baptist with all of his background, with all of his preaching. He had doubts because he had formed his own idea of what the Messiah should be like. And Jesus didn't live up to it. So sometimes we form in our own minds what we think God should do for us on a regular basis. The kind of God he should be for us. And it's all for our benefit, isn't it? And when things go wrong or things don't work out quite the way we expected, we start to doubt. Wait a minute. 
Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is this trial going on in my life? Why is this pain that I'm feeling or this sickness that I have not going away? And God has to inform us, listen, that's not the kind of God I am. I'm the kind of God who sometimes allows things to go on in your life that are trials, but it's for your benefit and your purpose. I have not left you. I am continually with you, but I'm the kind of God who has your best interest at heart. So why would we want to worship a God that we can control and we can understand all the time? Where is the faith involved in that? So God approaches us as a God that we can't control and as a God that we can't understand all the time because his ways are so higher above ours. So faith is all important. No part of the life we live will work well without faith. And God uses the hard seasons in our lives to develop our character. And that's part of the transformation process that he's doing to each of us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You know, God is who he is. He is not going to change. Whether he lives up to our expectations of him or not. Because our expectations of him can sometimes be false expectations. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So, you know, this is a, a hard reality that we have to come to terms with. You know, I remember as a parent, uh, my wife and I raised four children into adulthood. And there were some times where in the minds of our kids, we had to disappoint them. We had to say no to them. There were things that they asked for. There were places that they wanted to go. There were friends that they wanted to hang out with. And you know, sometimes we had to say no. And our kids got all upset. They were disappointed in us. We disappointed them by the decisions that we made. But we knew that it was in their best interest for us to say no at that time. They weren't ready for a particular gift. They shouldn't hang out with particular friends because they were having a bad influence on them. They shouldn't go certain places because there was danger there. You know, God's the same way. Sometimes God has to say no to us no matter how hard we pray for a certain thing because he's in charge. Our best interest is, is, is at heart for him. And there are some times where God has to stand by and allow certain trials to enter into our lives. And he sees us suffering. He sees us hurting. He sees us crying. But you know, God is the perfect parent. And he knows that it's for our best that he does that. You know, part of the transformation process that he's doing in each of our lives is to build godly character. And sometimes in order to build character, it takes suffering to build character. There's no other way to learn those lessons, and there's no other way to grow that character in our lives. You know, Jesus, it talks about Jesus suffering things. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. 
So even Jesus Christ in human form had to go through the same process that we're going through. We can't choose the ways in which we struggle in this life. God chooses them. But we can choose to respond to the struggles in the right way. It involves our thinking and our doing. So, okay, a trial hits you. You're in pain right now. You've got a disease, you know, that you're struggling with. It has weakened you considerably. You've got relationship problems in your life. What do you do? Well, like I said, it involves two things. The way you think and what you do. So first of all, what to think in the midst of a struggle. What to think in the midst of a struggle. Remember that our struggle has meaning. Whatever it may be that you're going through in your life. Now, hopefully you didn't cause the problems. Sometimes problems happen and it seems we didn't do anything to deserve it or to cause it. But when struggles, when trials hit, remember that our struggle has meaning. But we usually don't understand the meaning. God does. In fact, we may never fully grasp the meaning of a trial that we've gone through. But not understanding the struggle has nothing to do with understanding that the struggle has a purpose. Moreover, a good purpose. That's God's promise. So again, when trials hit your life and you're struggling and you're hurting, what do you think? Well, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand what the solution to it is going to be. But this one thing I understand, what I'm going through has a purpose for me. A God-ordained purpose, and it's a good purpose. Amen. You get that? Amen. That's how God wants us to think when trials hit. Also, keep this in mind. I've gone through trials before, and God has saved me from them. The trust that we learned in that situation should always carry us or carry on into all the situations we face in our life. In other words, we're going through a trial. You know what? I've been in trials before, and God rescued me out of that trial. I came out of that trial. God led me out of it. He's going to do it again, and he's going to do that no matter what trial I face in life. Another thing to think about at a time like this is sometimes we go through trials so that God can remove whatever we're depending on in our lives so that we will trust him. Amen. He wants us to depend on him, not on other things. You know, the Israelites depended on other nations. You know, when they felt threatened, instead of going to God and praying, what they did was they made alliances with other pagan nations. God said, don't do that. You've got to rely on me. I'm the only one who can solve your problems. Amen. And sometimes when we go through rough periods in our life, you know, there are a lot of people who end up relying on drugs or alcohol or whatever they think is going to get them through the trial. God's teaching us, don't rely on those other things. Rely on him. He's the only one who can rescue us from our trials. So what do we think in the midst of struggles? Even though we don't understand what's causing it and what the solution's going to be, God wants us to think this, that the trial is for a good purpose. 
because God's monitoring it. He's watching over us. He's giving strength every day. He doesn't choose to remove us from the trial immediately. That's what I'd probably like my God to do. But that's choosing from the smorgasbord of God characteristics. God says, you know what? There are times that you're going to continue in the trial for as long as I deem it necessary. So if you hurry up and learn the lesson intended, maybe the trial will uh, end a little bit sooner. Gives you something to think about. Think about how you trusted God in the past and he got you through it. And also make sure you're not relying on other things to get you through the trial. You know, if I can share something with you, uh, this goes back several years when the church went through its changes. You know, in respect, that was a trial time for many of us. When God was bringing us from legalism to grace, you might think, how can that be a trial? Well, we were so used to legalism, we kind of leaned on it as, as church members and as Christians. And there was a time when uh, I think that I leaned a lot on the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. You know, it was something that we practiced regularly. We worshiped God on Saturdays instead of Sundays. There were other things uh, like Old Testament laws of uh, diet, uh, types of foods that we should eat and types of foods we shouldn't eat. There were certain days throughout the year that we would uh, celebrate and worship God on. And we invested a lot of time and effort in those things. Sabbath keeping, uh, dietary restrictions, and we were focused on those things. We wanted to make sure we were doing them the right way. But then all of a sudden, things changed in our church where God brought us from legalistic practices to grace. We started to, to see God as he really is, and we started to appreciate him for what he's done. And things changed in the church. We didn't focus on seventh-day Sabbath keeping anymore. We got away from uh, dietary laws and practices and holy days throughout the years that we would, uh, on which we would worship God. And it almost seemed to me like things that I had been leaning on as a Christian, things that, that, that helped me you know, stand and kind of gave me an identity, those things were taken away. And it was like somebody who was on crutches or I remember when I was a kid and I was riding my bike and it had training wheels on the back because I didn't know how to ride a bike very well. There came a day when my parents took the training wheels off the back of my bike and I couldn't lean on those extra wheels and I had to do it myself or, or at least not, not rely on extra things to lean on. God gave me the strength to ride a bike myself. Same thing happened during those times in the church. Things that I found I was leaning on, days and, and the dietary restrictions and, and all these sorts of things, God wanted me to stand in his strength and in his power. So it was no longer my doing, it was all his doing, Amen. you see. And sometimes when we're going through a trial, God wants to teach us, you don't need to rely on anything else. You need to rely on me. And you need to look to me. And sometimes when we're going through a trial, that's when we're closest to God. We're praying more. Maybe we're studying more uh, because we're hurting. And we're, we're seeking guidance in our life. And we're seeking solutions in our life. And God says, that's good. I'm the solution to your problems. Look to me, not to other things. So when we're going through trials, it's about what we think. And it's also about what we do. Let's talk about that a little bit more. 
We need to choose to respond well to the trials God allows in our life. And we do that by choosing to trust and obey him no matter what. Amen. This is what we do. We choose to trust and obey him no matter what. Now, I'm not saying that when you're going through a health issue, you shouldn't go to see a doctor. Uh, God provided doctors for you to, to help and perhaps when surgery is needed. That, that's not showing a lack of faith in God. God, you know, understands that. And I think that he has provided doctors for us to help us along the way. But the thing is that we need to trust God to get us through the trial. And in the meantime, obey. Don't doubt. Uh, don't turn from God. Don't feel like Gideon felt. You know, if God is with me, why is he letting these things happen? No, the attitude to have is, I know God is with me. He has command over the trial that I'm going through. It will run as long as God deems it necessary or until I learn the lesson that I need to learn in my life. So that's why when we're going through a trial, don't complain to God. That's human nature. Don't get into a bad attitude and get all angry with people and impatient with people because, you know, don't you understand, I'm going through a trial here. Put yourself in my shoes. You know, that's, that's the way we get but no, as we're suffering through a trial, learn to trust in God, have a good attitude in the meantime. Now, that's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say, but this is God's purpose for trials in our life. There's no other way to build character and trust in God than God allowing us to go through periods of suffering in our life. So we need to choose to trust and obey him no matter what. If we don't learn this lesson the first time around, trust me, God will give us opportunities time and time again until we learn the lesson, okay? So let's wise up, let's get the point of what God's purpose for the trial is and move on from there. Move on from there by his grace. Let's turn to Psalm 42. This is a uh, psalm about trusting and obeying God. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 5. Psalm 42 and verse 5 says this. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? So this, here's a person who's going through a, a, a difficult trial, and all of a sudden he wakes up and thinks, why am I in this bad attitude? Why have I given up hope? Why am I losing trust in God? So he's kind of talking to himself and talking to his, his, his own soul. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. So this is the right attitude, okay? When we're depressed, we're discouraged because of the heavy trial we're enduring, think of God, your trust in Him, your obedience to Him. He says, For I will, Therefore I will remember you, God, from the land of, of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar uh, of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock. Okay, so it's not other things that I'm going to rely on to give me hope during a time of trial. It's God who's going to get me through. He's my rock. He's my fortress. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Here's the answer. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So that's funny. This man is going through a trial. He's talking to himself. He's saying, why are you so depressed? Let's snap out of this. Our solution is in God. Let's continue to go to him in prayer and worship. He's going to bring us through this trial. And on top of it, there's going to be character built through it. And I need to rely on God, not on other things to get me through a trial. And I don't need to get all depressed and discouraged about it and, try, and bring other people down along the way into my attitude of thinking. God hasn't forsaken me. He's still there. He's still in charge. He doesn't think the way I think. His thoughts are higher than mine. And whatever trial I'm facing, whatever it may be, it's for my benefit. Amen. And I'm going to come out of this a better person in God's sight because he's transforming me through this trial to rely more on him. Amen. So has God ever disappointed us? No, not at all. If you've ever been disappointed in God, it's not the real God that you're disappointed in. It's the God that you've made him to be in, you, in your mind and in your heart. And that's a false God. God is always for us. He is always working for our benefit, uh, even through the difficult times. And there will be difficult times in our life. Je just as Jesus, the very Son of God, endured difficult times in his life and went through trials in his life. We should expect this. It's part of being a Christian. But we know that we win in the end because God is on our side. So let's understand God, who he truly is, how much he loves us, and what his purposes for us may be. And we all go through different types of trials. Our trials are rarely similar. And no trial is worse than any other. I mean, God's purpose is at work no matter what it is that we go through. But we can have faith, we can trust and believe, and we can continue to look through God or to him as he's going to rescue us from the trial that we're going through. So we're thankful that we have such a loving God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this hard lesson today. None of us really likes trials. It seems hard to rejoice over them. But you've taught us today that there really is a positive purpose in the trials that we have to go through. We're reassured that you're in charge no matter what we may see from our human eyes. We know that no matter how black things may look at the present time, you're going to bring us through this trial to your glory. And when we exit on the other side of the trial, we're going to be better people in your sight, Lord, because we will have made progress. Our trust in you will have grown. Our character will have grown. But help us to keep this in mind as we experience the trial. Lord, thank you for being such a wonderful Savior. And just as Israel was saved 
in a particular way, a miraculous way, you're saving us. And we know that uh, once we have signed on to become Christians, life is not meant to be a bed of roses. But we're meant to endure trials just as Jesus Christ did. And he sets such a wonderful example for us, and you provide the power and the strength for us on a daily basis. So considering all that, there's no way we can lose. So help us, Lord. Strengthen us daily. We love you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.